we got key position battles to discuss heading into the spring for the Oklahoma Sooners, what to expect from the NFL draft declarations, where they might go, and a big victory for women's hoops on Wednesday night over TCU. All that and more on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, Sooners Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining me. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. You can also read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at the Sooners Wire at usatoday.com. And on today's show, let's start off by talking about some key position battles. Somebody brought up in the comments section when I was talking about five players that needed to have breakout seasons for the Sooners, uh, that the right tackle position would be a key Uh, position battle for the Sooners. And I'd kind of like to break that down a little bit because it's going to be huge. The Oklahoma Sooners are losing two of their three of their five starters on the offensive line to the NFL in Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes, who takes over at those spots is going to be very important for what happens with the Oklahoma Sooners offense in 2022. It's important in that they're going to need to find a guy that can stabilize the offensive line as they had some issues a little bit at times last year, we had a first time starter in Andrew Rame starting at center and they rotated some guys in at left tackle until Anton Harrison finally took over at that position. Chris Murray became the starter at right guard. And so you have three or five guys coming back in Harrison, Rame, and uh, Chris Murray. But what's going to happen at left guard? What's going to happen at right tackle? Let's start with right tackle. They've got several guys that I think could figure into this position battle. Savon Bird being one of those guys, uh, a very highly touted right tackle or tackle prospect that should be a guy that should contend for the right tackle position at this spring and in the summer. Bray Walker, another guy that is was a really highly touted prospect out of the 2018 class, was a five-star guy, the highest rated player on, in that group. It was Lincoln Riley's first recruiting class. The high, He was like 29th overall uh, in the top 100 of 247 sports and just really hasn't shown that player to be that player just yet but he's still got time i mean it's still you know he's he's had to overcome some really good players along the offensive line for the oklahoma Sooners, and maybe this is the time that he actually puts it all together he had put himself into the transfer portal uh, back in the fall but came back to the oklahoma Sooners, so he's a guy that could stand out and then you got wanya morris wanya morris the the tackle prospect that came from tennessee in the transfer portal last spring who many of us thought were going to be the guy that took over at left tackle but it didn't really transpire that way. And I remember talking with my, you know, my previous podcast partner, David Walker about this last year. And we all, you know, put a lot of time and a lot of attention into one more starting at left tackle for the Sooners. And it never materialized. I actually watched one of those uh, videos that we'd made for Twitter um, last year. And, yeah, we ended up wasting a little bit of time talking about Wanya Morris starting at, at tackle for the Sooners. But maybe this year is the year that he puts it together but I think what's what's intriguing about this is they've got several guys, and that's not even talking about Jake Taylor or um, Jacob Sexton, who are going to be coming in as freshmen, that might contend for a, a spot at right tackle either. What's interesting is they're going to have several guys that could fill that void and fill that role. Competition is a good thing sometimes. Yes, you like to have solidified starters at every position on your offense and defense, but that's just not the case in college football. 
as many people told me when I talked about some of my concerns about the defensive line. Roster turnover is a reality, but the Oklahoma Sooners have options at right tackle. Let's move over to left guard where they're losing Marquise Hayes, who was a several-year starter there. But you've got guys that are four-star prospects coming out of high school, one being Colin Montgomery. Uh, He was the number 17-rated guard by 247 Sports uh, in his recruiting class. I think that's going to be a really interesting option for him. they got Robert Conchal, who played a little bit at center, also can double up at guard for the Sooners. And then you got Marcus Alexander, another four-star player, a three-star in some uh, recruiting uh, sites. ESPN had him as a top 50 guard prospect uh, coming into his recruiting class. And so that's the position that I, I don't feel as concerned about as I do right tackle. One, because at left tackle, you've got Anton Harrison, you've got Andrew Rehm at center. Those two guys on either side of your, le- of your left guard will help him to – raise his game will help him to play well when they get into the season because the offensive line is a unit effort but at the tackle positions you've got to have guys that are able to stand out there on an island and take on those edge rushers be able to communicate well with the guard on the interior when teams are running stunts when they're sending corner blitzes and and being able to adjust on the fly you got to have a guy that's pretty heady that can read the defense and what they're trying to do and can decide which guy he needs to pick up in pass protection pretty quickly because, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the tackle wants to bump out, pick up that, that slot blitz or that safety blitz. But what the quarterback needs him to do is pick up the guy that's, that's closer to him, which is going to be more of the edge or the defensive tackle. They need to find guys that can communicate well and are able to pick up those guys pretty quickly. So that that's going to be the most intriguing uh, position battle to me to watch this spring is what they see and what, what happens at right tackle. We're not going to have a definitive answer on that until we probably get to fall camp. But if we start hearing, you know, one guy getting most of the reps with the first team and we're starting to see, you know, positive reports coming out about one guy uh, over on locked on Cowboys, my guy, Marcus Mosier talks about hearing a drum beat and that beaming, you know, the guy that you hear consistently having, good practices, putting together good reps after good reps and good snaps. That's going to be the guy that you want to kind of keep your eye on as somebody who's going to make some noise in the season. And so that's going to be the key position battle for me, right tackle along the offensive line. Left guard is still, you know, something that you have to watch, but I think they've got um, some really solid prospects there. And the fact that you, like I said, you have starters returning on either side of the left guard is going to really help that person out a lot. At the edge position, that's another intriguing position battle that that's going to, I think, raise the game for everybody because the competition is pretty open at defensive end. You don't have a returning starter. Isaiah Thomas is gone. Nick Bonito is gone. Those are going to be guys that we talk about in the next segment. But you've got guys that have played a lot of snaps in rotational roles, got a lot of snaps in the Alamo Bowl, who have very are very capable of being effective pass rushers, effective run defenders for the Oklahoma Sooners in Brent Venables' defense. We're talking about Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling, and Clayton Smith. Uh, Nathan Rawlings-Kubanga, Arinze, Kelvin Gilliam. You've got a lot of guys that are going to factor in, figure in for a lot of snaps for the Oklahoma Sooners, but who's going to start? Right now, I would put my money on Marcus Stripling starting at one of those edge spots. He was just dynamic as a pass rusher against Oregon. Oregon's got a pretty solid offensive line. That's that's no slouch of an offensive line, and he was really, really good in that game. And then at the other spot, I mean, that, that one can be a little bit more up for grabs for me. I mean, Grimes 
was considered a leader in the locker room when Bonito and Isaiah Thomas kind of opted out for the NFL draft. He was the guy that was taking a lot of the media availabilities. He was the one that was kind of speaking out in that edge group for the Oklahoma Sooners. So he could be potentially one of the guys that steps up and takes over one of those defensive end roles. It's not just about rushing the passer. You've got to have guys that are able to set the edge in the run game, force things back inside, and, and make plays. I mean, that was the thing that we loved about Nick Bonito. He was a dynamic pass rusher, one of the best in the country. But he was also fantastic as a run defender as well. He, he managed to keep his keys, maintain his leverage, and maintain his responsibility, but also make a lot of plays in the run game. It wasn't just him just kind of uh, avoiding his responsibility to make plays. He did everything the right way like he was supposed to. Uh, I always think back to that, remember the Titans – scene between a Bertier and Julius Campbell where they're, they're talking about, you know, Bertier wants Julius Campbell to like hold up his guy and maintain his responsibility so that those guys can come in and fill behind him and make the play in the run game. That it's really, it's really important. Like defense is a team effort and your edge guys have to be able to maintain their leverage and maintain their responsibilities on the edge to, to force the run game back inside to get help from the linebackers. So those are just a few of the position battles that I'll be looking forward to watching this spring. There are definitely others that we're going to talk about. Uh, slot quarterback is going to be one of them. Safety, I feel like, is probably pretty well decided, but still it'll be some competition up in the air. Uh, who the wide receiver starters, aside from Marvin Mims, are going to be, I have a pretty good feeling who that's going to be, but it's still something that's up in the air. Backup quarterback is also going to be interesting to watch uh, between Nick Evers and Ralph Rucker and Micah Bowens as well. So we'll talk more about that as we get closer to spring because we still have several key positions that we need to, to see how they're going to transpire and how they're going to play out. But coming up next, let's talk about the NFL draft prospects, where I think they might end up landing uh, in the seven-round NFL draft. Uh, where the, I mean, you're seeing some projections for certain guys, but some that I'm not so sure about. But we'll talk about that next after I talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's easy to eat. It's 100% covered in chocolate and it tastes great. I love Built Bar. I've got a box of them in my locker at work so that every morning I can have one. When I start getting famished, start getting hungry. My job as a nurse is a is a physical job. I'm getting patients up. I'm turning them, lifting them. And sometimes I just need that extra boost of protein and energy that I get with Built Bar. They got great flavors, peanut butter brownie, coconut brownie chunk, coconut almond. You cannot go wrong. And if you go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you can get 15% off your next order over at Built.com. They always are coming out with great new flavors as well. So there's always something there for everybody. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next over order at Built.com, promo code LOCKED15. So the NFL draft is still a couple months away, but what's coming up in the next week and a half is the NFL scouting combine. If you love the 40-yard dash, if you love the bench press, if you love the three-cone drill, then the NFL scouting combine is for you. The great thing is, though, they're also integrating more uh, position specific drills that are going to get these guys tested a little bit better. So not just the, the, the measurables, the, the bench press, the 40, the, the three cone, the, the shuttle, things like that, the 20 yard shuttle, but you'll see, you know, defensive backs doing more like position style drills. You'll see linebackers and, and edge rushers and things like that doing more of that kind of work. Kind of like what we saw at the senior bowl where they'd be working in practice in position drills. Now there's not going to be any contact. These guys aren't going to do like any 11 on 11 or anything like that in pads, but you might see them work with uh, the, the tackling dummies and going around 
um, you know, as, as edge rushers do, they'll, they'll go around and, and show their, their bendability, their flexibility off the edge. But the, the guys that we're really looking at, the guys we're really talking about at the, at the top of the draft in particular. So you're seeing guys like Perry on Winfrey, Nick Bonito, be mentioned in the second round pretty regularly when you see these three round mock drafts come out. Uh, and I think these, that's probably right where they should be. Uh, I, I spoke with Deller and Turner Yell doing a series on him as he heads into the NFL draft. And I completely agree with him that a lot of people are sleeping on Nick Bonito quite a bit. He's somebody that at times I've seen him fall to the very top of the third round, uh, with the first pick in the third round, but pretty regularly, he's probably in that 50 to 60 range. And a lot of it's due to size. That's the, the thing I'm hearing from draft analysts a lot. Spoke with Dane Brugler of the athletic in just, you know, quick little Twitter DMS. And I asked him, I was like, so what's the deal on Nick Bonita? Why, why are team or draft analysts kind of low on him? And that's what he kind of spoke to is like, he's just not, they're not sure where he's going to fit if he's a linebacker if he's an edge rusher and i think this is one of those players that teams are just overthinking or draft analysts are overthinking part of it being perry on winfrey's complaint in that they weren't letting nick bonito strictly play defensive end or outside linebacker because he is a pass rusher he's an edge rusher can he play off ball linebacker absolutely but that's not his best skill set that's not his best role so what it's going to take, though, for him to get into the upper half of the of the second round or maybe even the first is a team that says, listen, we've got a role. We've got a plan for Nick Bonito. We believe he's an edge rusher. We believe that he can be an effective pass rusher off the edge, similar to a guy like TJ Watt, who's considered undersized. I, I, my favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys, they passed on TJ Watt because they didn't believe that he could hold up to the, the rigors of the NFL season as an edge rusher at under 240 pounds. Nick Bonito can, similarly to uh, uh, T.J. Watt. Or you look at Micah Parsons, who came into the NFL as an off-ball linebacker, had a little bit of edge rushing experience, but really didn't do much of it at the college level. They turned him into a 13-sack guy. They ran him off the edge uh, regularly, started a couple games at defensive end because of uh, injury issues to Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, and he was super effective. So how, how can a guy like Micah Parsons be super effective after not even really rushing the passer at Penn State much and a guy like Nick Bonito can't? It, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's similar to the issue I think that people had with Ronnie Perkins. They, don't, they didn't know what to do with him. But the reality is this guy is just a really good pass rusher. Nick Bonito in an NFL offseason and NFL strength and conditioning program can add weight and maintain his explosiveness, his agility and his flexibility and be a really, really good run defender and edge rusher for an NFL team. So that's one of those guys that I'm going to be really curious to see what the NFL does with him. Cause I think he's, I mean, he's a, he's solidified as a second round prospect. I think he should go in the top 50. Another guy, Perry on Winfrey had a great senior bowl. Another guy I think should go in the top 50 of the NFL draft. Defensive tackle interior rush is at a premium and it's hard to find guys that are able to create pass rush from the interior. But we saw just now in the Super Bowl how having a guy like Aaron Donald, not saying Perry on Winfrey is Aaron Donald. I'm saying when you have guys that are capable of generating pressure from the interior, it messes with every single quarterback in the NFL. What was Tom Brady's kryptonite against the New York Giants? interior pass rush from Justin Tuck. 
So I think Perry on Winfrey is going to be one of those guys that starts to scoot up into the upper half of the second round and could threaten for the first round, especially after the combine, because teams are going to put him through testing. They'll interview him. They'll, they'll see his agility, his speed, his, his strength and see him as a guy that could be a three tech starting defensive tackle in the NFL. Uh, another guy, that, which kind of surprised me recently that I saw as a upper second round prospect. And I think this was in pro football Focus's mock draft was Brian Osamoa was taken by the Jacksonville Jaguars with the, the first pick in the second round. And that's the first time I've seen him anywhere in the top 100. I think it's possible for him to be a top 100 pick. I think it's a little bit of a reach for him to go on the top of the second round because a lot of it is based on your, your, your potential and your expectation. You're projecting what he could potentially be because yeah, he had a great end of the season, but does his career line up with somebody who is a top 50 pick? Maybe, maybe it could, it's hard to say, but that's, that's something that you're starting to see. You might watch out for if he has a really good NFL combine, he can really solidify himself as a top 50 pick as well. Uh, and then, Isaiah Thomas this is the one that's a little bit curious to me. Um, a lot of times these long, strong edge rushers that are really good pass rushers, but maybe not necessarily the quickest. I think back to like a taco Charlton uh, from Michigan who did go in the first round to the Dallas Cowboys, who they picked instead of TJ Watt. Ugh. I think Isaiah Thomas could still, you know, find him his way into the top 100 again, defensive end edge rushers, guys with production are hard to come by. But I also think back to a guy like uh, Charles Omenahu of Texas a few years back who they they weren't sure if he was a defensive end or if he was a defensive tackle. I think for Houston, he's doing a little bit of both. But I think Isaiah Thomas could fall into that where he falls to like the fourth or fifth round and teams just aren't sure if he's an interior player or an, if he's quick enough to be an edge player. But again, I think he's going to be a guy that teams overthink because he's shown to be a really good defensive end, someone that you can trust to be reliable in the run game and be an effective pass rusher when he's asked to. And if you need to kick him inside on third downs to rush from the interior, then you can do that as well. And he's got the size and the length to be able to hold up in that, in that area. So that's one of the, that's one of the guys that I'm really interested to see how the NFL views him um, because he's a, a guy with a lot of production, two years of production at Oklahoma He's got good size. He's got good length. Seems to have good agility and, and quickness off the ball. Good strength at the point of attack. So that'll that'll be a fascinating one for me to watch. Um, and then Jeremiah Hall, the H back fullback. You know, Mel Kiper sees him as the number one fullback in the country. Fullbacks are, are interesting. Fullbacks and kickers. You know, we can throw Gabe Burkich into this conversation a little bit. A lot of it's just going to depend on how the NFL draft falls which teams value the fullback more than others. Like a team like San Francisco, they love the fullback. They throw the juice chick all the time. They run him a lot. I think Jeremiah Hall could be a very effective player for a team that has a plan for him. If a team doesn't have a plan for him, they're not going to draft him. But I even look at like the Green Bay Packers, who in their history, like Aaron Kuhn, at times under Mike McCarthy's regime, this could even be for the Dallas Cowboys. Jeremiah Hall could be a guy that goes to the Dallas Cowboys because there's a history of these head coaches who know how to use a fullback, deploy them and make them a, an effective part of the offense, use them as mismatch pieces. So that'll be an interesting one to watch too. I think he, I think he's going to get drafted probably sixth or seventh round, but that's cause that's just be, 
that's just generally where a, a player that's a fullback goes, whether they're a pass catcher or not. That's just usually how the NFL draft values those guys. Uh, and then, and then same with Gabe Burkich. I think he's a guy that will probably go in the, the sixth or seventh round if he gets drafted at all. Kicker is just kind of a weird thing. Sometimes, you know, teams are really excited to draft a kicker. Sometimes they, they don't, and they sign those guys as free agents. Uh, Kennedy Brooks, in the three-round mock drafts I've seen, I haven't really seen his name called at all, but I think he's a guy that could go in the top 100. He's got the production. He's got good tape. He's got good film. Um, a lot of it's going to be scheme-dependent on him. I think teams that run a lot of wide zone are going to be the ones that that utilize him a little bit more because – of his patience and his ability to read blocks and stretch plays out and then cut up field and, and make people miss break tackles, get to the second level and make big plays. Um, he's not a guy that has to have it blocked for him. Um, he is able to make plays on his own when the, when the run game is not necessarily working, but he'll be, he'll be interesting because again, the running back position has become devalued in the NFL, especially if you're an older running back. Uh, because the the lifespan of running backs is generally to about 27. Now you have the outliers, the Frank Gores, the Adrian Petersons, but generally 27, the data shows, is about when those running backs begin to fall off a cliff. So if you're only going to get four or five years out of a running back, it's not likely you're going to spend a premium pick, which is a top 100 pick, on a running back, uh, especially one that might be you know 22 uh, by the time the NFL draft takes place. That's not to say that Kennedy Brooks can't sneak into the top 100, but you're going to see other guys like uh, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M or Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, Brees Hall from Iowa State. Those are going to be the guys that that litter into the top 100, and a lot of it just depends on the, the depth at that position as, compared to other positions. If teams view the running back position as having a lot of depth, which it seems to this year, uh, there's really good top-end guys, but there's also depth throughout. Then they're going to be content to wait on that and then draft from a position that may not have as much depth at it. Um, and then in addition to Kennedy Brooks, you got Marquise Hayes. I'm going to talk about Marquise Hayes and Tyrese Robinson together because I feel like these two guys will be really fascinating to watch as well. Um, you know, I was a little bit surprised at times to see uh, Adrian Ely not get drafted last year. We were shocked to see Creed Humphrey fall uh, to the end of the second round. I don't think these guys are viewed in the same light that Creed Humphrey was viewed, but I think a lot of the, the draft analysts that, that I follow and I, and I read, most of them view the league letting Creed Humphrey fall to 30, the, the second round, the end of the second round of the Kansas city chiefs to be a mistake. And so I, I think teams might, view Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes a little bit higher um, than they might otherwise because of how good Creed Humphrey was. They might consider Oklahoma offensive linemen um, a little bit, have a little bit more value than they might have in the past. But I, I, these guys are probably uh, anywhere from the fourth to the sixth round. They're, they have a ton of experience, you know, very productive at Oklahoma, played really, really good. Uh, a guy like Tyrese Robinson's proven to have position flexibility. He can play guard. He can play tackle. Um, and then you got Marquise Hayes, I think, who is more of a guard, but they might, you know, try him at center a little bit as well. Um, but I think that's probably where they fall fourth round of the sixth round. Um, it, again, it'll be a lot of it will depend on how do they test, what's their strength like at the NFL combine. And then. Deller and Turner Yell, the guy that I've been chatting it up with, safety 
um, heading to the NFL draft. He'll be at the combine. Um, according to him and his agent, he's one of the more highly anticipated players because he did play in the shrine bowl, wasn't at the senior bowl. Um, and so they're, they're really looking forward to seeing how he tests, how he interviews. And based on the, just my conversations with him, the dude's a film junkie teams are going to love him because that's all he talked about was watching film. And I'm excited for him. I, I think he's going to have a good combine. I think he'll test well. Um, you know, he, he played really, really well at the end of the season. What's his draft ceiling? Probably I could, I could see him going to like the fourth or fifth round. Safety is generally a pretty deep uh, group position group in the draft and, and teams will, will allow safeties to slide. So I think his ceiling's probably in the, the fourth or fifth round. And I think he gets drafted at least by the sixth, seventh round because he's a player that can play box. He can play strong safety. He can, he can run defend. He's not a liability in coverage. He had the highest um, or the lowest uh, NFL passer rating at the college level, um, according to Pro Football Focus, in 2021. And you know that's among quite a few players that played really good coverage, but he had the lowest rating allowed uh, by in coverage. And then you got Michael Woods. I think this is another player that, that teams are going to sleep on a little bit because of a lack of production, but he's got good size. He's got good speed. He got, has good strength, able to make things happen after the catch. He's got good hands. So I, I think Michael Woods is a guy that could end up being, you know, a top 200 pick. Somebody that's going to go in the fifth, fourth, fifth round. I think the lack of production will probably drop him down a little bit, knock him down, but I think he's got the tape when he was on the field, a lot of it was just due to a lack of snaps. I mean, he, he was highly productive for the snaps that he got. He had a hundred fewer uh, passing game snaps than Jaden Hazelwood, but just four fewer receptions. So if that doesn't tell you what the guy can do when given an opportunity, I'm not sure what can, because he, he was second in the team with 400 receiving yards, a very good player. I thought he was going to be much much more productive in the offense. Well, I thought a lot of guys are going to be much more productive in the offense last year. As we saw, it wasn't as productive as we, as we expected it to be, but yeah, it, it was just kind of disappointing. And then the other guy that has declared for the NFL draft, LaRon Stokes, I'm not sure he gets drafted. He just didn't do enough during his time at Oklahoma. I mean, it's as likely that he ends up in like the USFL, but I think he could potentially be an undrafted free agent option for teams um, that, that are aware of him and his story. But I, I just don't think he has enough production, enough tape uh, to be drafted in the NFL draft. So a lot of, I mean, they have a chance to have as many guys drafted as they've had in years uh, with 12 guys declared. I think at least seven or eight guys could get drafted this year. And that'd be huge for the Oklahoma Sooners, especially as they embark on this next journey with a, a new head coach. I think it's it's going to be key to see some of these guys get drafted. Even though it was under a previous regime, a lot of these guys were recruited by Bob Stoops. And I think that will play well with a guy like Brent Venables as he gets out on the recruiting trail and he can point to guys like Isaiah Thomas, Jeremiah Hall, uh, Nick Bonito, Dale and Turner Yell, these guys that were heavily recruited by the Bob Stoops group of coaches, how that could play out for Brent Venables down the road. But coming up next, we'll talk real quick about the women's basketball game and how that played out for them and the Texas Tech loss for the Sooners men. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about Bet Online. Football's over, basketball is full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. 
for all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the, num- the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to Olympic coverage. If you got in on any of that, they'll have it for the Summer Olympics as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline.net is where the game starts. Excuse me. So, very bipolar season for men's and women's hoops this year. Uh, the men, they dropped a huge game to the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Their 2021-2022 season is on um, is on life alert. They're hitting that life alert button, but they're not getting much help. Um, and, yeah, very disappointing loss. I mean, Texas Tech is a tough place to play at, in Lubbock. That basketball arena just gets fired up. For, for their games. Of course, there's nothing else to do in Lubbock, but it's, man, it's a team that has had so many ups and downs. They've only won three games since early January. And I mean, it's not indicative of what the Porter Mosier era is going to be, but it's not the way we saw things transpiring after the first couple months of the season when this team was on the verge of being ranked and had just lost a few games. It was playing really good basketball, had a few top 15 wins, but it, yeah. I mean, unless they run they run the table the rest of the season and have a really strong showing in the NCAA tournament, I have a hard time seeing them making the field of 64 and because they're just not playing good basketball right now. They're not finishing well. They're not shooting the ball particularly well or particularly consistently. It's the thing we've been talking about on the show for several weeks is that their three-point shooting just hasn't been consistent enough. When it's When they're hot, they win. When they're not, they struggle. And I think what we're seeing is that Porter Mosier's offense is going to lend itself to getting good three-point looks. The problem is you don't have a lot of good three-point shooters right now. You got a Moji Gibson who can hit the threes when he's when he's hot. He's as good as it gets. Tanner Groves is pretty good at times, but even he's been streaky. But yeah, they, they just don't have enough offense on this team right now to be a consistent enough team uh, to, to make any kind of noise in the Big 12 tournament or in the NCAA tournament. Now I can say that and they could get on a hot run like they did early in the season, but it, it just seems like things are not going to finish well for the Oklahoma Sooners. On the women's side of things, they were heading into their game with TCU on Wednesday night in a three-game losing streak, and they had a huge win over the Horn Frogs. They were up by 26 at the half and ended up winning uh, 92-54. to 54. It was an absolute or sorry, 92 to 57, just an absolute drubbing uh, by Oklahoma. They had six players in double figures. They shot 49.3% from the field and 41% from three-point range. They held TCU to just 8% from three, 33% on the day, and forced 19 turnovers. Uh, Yeah, I mean, anytime that you're going to shoot as well as they did and then – force your opponent to under 10% from three, you're going to win and you're probably going to win big, especially especially if you get the rebounding edge, which the Oklahoma Sooners did. They needed this win. This was a team that has been one of the best offenses in the country for the 2021-2022 season. Got kind of stuck in this three-game losing streak, but great bounce back win to get them off the schneid and and head down the stretch um, with some confidence and are, are about to make some noise in the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. 
And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day, available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. So make sure you go subscribe over there, hit the notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop and leave a comment in the comment section. And until next time, I'm John Williams, Boomer Sooner.